Great, Trevor, thank you very much for reading that uh, so clearly. I'd love you to keep that open, page 1117, uh, and I'll come to it in just a little while. As we continue this little mini-series in April, um, we're, we're doing a little uh, sort of series of one-off talks attempting to answer frequently asked questions. Um, questions that we find frequently asked on our Alpha course. Alpha is a practical introduction to the Christian faith. We invite uh, guests, visitors, people to come and explore the, what the central claims of the Christian faith are. And very often in the small group discussion that we have over coffee, we find that there are all sorts of questions people have. And often they kind of filter down to um, two or three or four recurring ones. And so we've looked at the question, um, how do we know that God is real? How do we know he's there? Uh, and you can find that talk on the website. Johnny gave it just a couple of weeks ago. Last week we tried to attempt an answer at this issue of suffering in the world uh, and reconciling that, so attempting to reconcile that with the God of love. And today you'll see from the order of service this question, this statement that's often made uh, in question form. Don't, don't all religions lead to God? Aren't all religions basically just different ways to one God? Aren't they all equally valid? Um, just a quick book plug, a chapter in this book by uh, Nicky Umble uh, called Searching Issues, which was basically written off the back of the questions asked on the Alpha course. And there's a chapter there on other religions, very readable and accessible. And uh, this book, Don't All Religions Lead to God? Um, Navigating the Multi-Faith Maze, written by Michael Green, uh, an irrepressible evangelist. He found himself in hospital, so, uh, uh, recovering from a minor heart attack. And he, he, just, he got talking to the people in the bed on his left, on his right, and anyone who'd listened, nurses, doctors. And uh, all the conversations, nearly always the question that he found, he was amazed. He thought it was a slightly passe question. But nearly always the question or the issues came down to the people he was talking to saying, yeah, but basically aren't all religions the same? Don't they all eventually get to God? And so off the back of that, as soon as he got out of hospital, he wrote this book, Don't All Religions Lead to God. We've got copies at the back, and uh, I'd love you to, um, if you want to purchase one, then come and see me at the end, and uh, we, can, we can do that. Let's bow our heads for a short prayer. Father, we, as we look at your uh, text, this among many, affirming who you are, Lord, as we think and apply our minds to this question, as we reason together, join us and inspire us by your spirit. Convict us, Lord, of the truth. Help us to live in it with boldness and courage. For Jesus' sake, amen. Many religions, all sorts of different worldviews. I, I venture to suggest that 40, 50 years ago, this, this wouldn't have been anything like the question that it is today. Because even so little as, as 40 or 50 years ago, there, there weren't many other credible worldviews to challenge Christianity in the formation of our cultural understanding here in this country at least, if not the West. But nowadays it's very, very different. I think um, a relaxation in, in the ability of people to travel and move, migratory peoples, immigration within our country, the World Wide Web, and uh, an explosion of knowledge and awareness. They say we live in the global city, the global world, the, the global village rather. Uh, everywhere have, has access to ideas, thoughts, creeds. And so we become that much more aware today 
of all sorts of other different worldviews. First term I want to use, I'm going to use three terms, refer to them today, pluralism, tolerance and relativism as I attempt to unpack this question. I'm not going to take the question head on actually, I'm not going to do a sort of comparative religions, if only because um, it's so well covered, particularly in this book here. Several chapters are going into quite a bit of detail, accessible detail on the different world religions today. So I'm not going to attempt to replicate that, but recommend the book. But I want to try and get at the foundations that undergird, underpin this question. Don't all religions lead to God? Pluralism. It just describes the way things are today. It's a fact. There are, pluralism is just a, a, the fact that there are a number of different philosophies, worldviews, religious claims in our world, in our culture, in this nation today. It just describes the way things are. And the impact of pluralism, the fact that there are many competing claims, has had an impact on Christianity and on the Christian faith. It has eroded the privileged position that we uh, Christians have adopted in this country for quite some time. Uh, For example, um, it is still the law that every prison in this country must have a Christian chaplain. But whereas 40 or 50 years ago, the only chaplain in a prison was Christian, now there are Buddhists, Muslims, Hindus, uh, humanist religious advisors, and so on. They all compete for that particular space. Or take um, the, the Thought for the Day slot on Radio 4's Today program. Again, in days of yore, it would have been almost exclusively Christian. But now if you look at the playlist uh, each day, at that thought for the day, alongside a Christian voice, you'll have a humanist or an atheist. Or you'll have uh, Methodists or Hindus or um, Sikhs. You'll even have Baptists. Every voice can compete for airtime on that little three-minute slot. Now, pluralism gives rise to these other two bedfellows. Tolerance. You see, in a pluralistic society with all these competing voices, tolerance has risen to become a chief virtue. Tolerance is best understood as a a policy, a state of mind. It, It is, we will allow freedom of expression, we must allow freedom of expression for individuals to to own and express their particular worldview. Individuals must be free to own and express their worldview. That's a tolerance society, a tolerant stance. And in the seedbed of tolerance has grown relativism. Relativism is just one of the stances, one of the, the, the worldviews, if you like, that, uh, that exists within a pluralistic culture. And relativism is a philosophy that has as its sort of catchy dictum, it's all relative. More precisely, relativism says that there is no absolute truth claim to any one of these other worldviews, philosophies, or religions. Relativism denies an absolute truth claim to any other worldview, philosophy or religion. Truth, according to relativism, if it's allowed at all, is not decided cosmically or universally. Truth, insofar as it exists, 
It's decided individually. I can decide what's true for me. Now you'll, you'll see how this has is, this is now just become the prevalent worldview, I'd want to argue, relativism. Amongst all the other religions, philosophies and worldview, relativism is an incredibly strong undercurrent in all of our thinking and decision making, our sort of default settings, if you like, in the world in which we live. Perhaps encapsulated by uh, popularly and in popular culture by the Manic Street preachers who uh, sold millions uh, through their album in the late 1990s, which was entitled, This is My Truth, Tell Me Yours. Uh, that, if you like, is a popular dictum or the popular sort of outworking of relativism. And it's hugely appealing to our individualistic, self-centered, consumerist society. I love the idea that I can create and construct and pick and choose a truth that suits me. I can make my own religion or my own philosophy or my own world viewpoints. And so relativism that allows me to construct a truth that's true for me within the culture, the virtuous culture of tolerance, which allows me the freedom to express my view and to live in my truth, as long as it doesn't inhibit or impinge on the freedom of others, means that our Christian confidence, I want to suggest, has been seriously eroded. Because you see, the prevailing view and... Uh, I think you can see this. I was, I was talking to someone this morning uh, who was just talking about the storyline in The Archers. And she very sweetly asked if I, um, this was at the 8 o'clock service, whether I was a regular listener of The Archers. I had to confess that I wasn't a regular listener to The Archers. But I gather there's a vicar in The Archers who is um, living with a Hindu and they're about to get married. And someone has expressed sort of concern about this and, and has expressed in the storyline that they hope the Hindu converts to Christianity. And, and that has been met with shock and horror. What bigotry, outrage. One of a number of examples in the sort of media, the soaps and all that kind of thing, of, of this sort of relativistic worldview, which is just one of a number in a culture of pluralism, which would, would point the finger at a faith claim such as Christianity's. Jesus, just a, a few weeks ago, we were looking at Jesus, who says, I am the way to the Father. No one comes to the Father except by me. <gasps> and we can feel the heckles rise in the culture around us. How arrogant. How exclusive. How dare you. And unless every now and then we look at this question and look at what underpins it, the, the, sort of the, 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 current, the cultural currents that are eroding away underneath, unless we look at that and inspect that, we'll fall in line. Yes, gosh, this Christian faith is a bit arrogant, isn't it? It is a bit exclusive, isn't it? There's no logical link between a relativistic worldview in a pluralistic culture. Uh, there's no logical reason why relativism should come to the fore. But I want to suggest there are some quite strong psychological or sociological reasons why it becomes a predominant worldview. Firstly, because, uh, as I've just intimated, Christianity can seem arrogant and tolerant. And secondly, perhaps linked to that, I, I find it difficult. I, I genuinely do find it difficult to suggest to someone who's very nice, very caring, very sensitive, 
that their outlook on life, their worldview, if you like, is wrong. So I think that those two reasons are the arrogance of the Christian claim and, and the, the, how I feel in, in, in talking to others and, and suggesting that they might be wrong has undermined my confidence in the Christian faith. And so as a result, this, this uh, sort of catch-all, aren't all religions the same? Aren't they all equally valid? Or you might say negatively, aren't they all invalid, equally, comes to the fore. So what are we to do if we're to understand the pluralistic culture in which we live? All these competing worldviews, how, how are we to make sense of it and navigate a way through? Well, first of all, uh, briefly, I want us to inspect relativism as this one, one of many, that has come to the fore in our culture. Because it's flawed. Logically, the relativist stance, it's all relative. There's no absolute truth. Logically, it's flawed. And as I make those statements, maybe you can begin to see why. Let's take that phrase, it's all relative. That's an absolute statement. There are no absolute truths. That's an absolute statement. Relativism is logically flawed. It fails its own test. Not only that, I want to argue it, it doesn't work in real life. Relativism, when you push it to its extremes, it doesn't work. Someone comes up to me and says, I believe that the earth is flat. Now, this person may sincerely believe that the earth is flat, as indeed the greatest minds several centuries ago did believe that the earth is flat, but we've moved on. Scientific research has enabled us to see that the earth is not flat, it's a sphere. And so even though this person may believe that with total sincerity and be the nicest person and express the view as sensitively, they're wrong. And if they persist in it, they're mad. It doesn't work. Imagine you've got an op- you're having an operation, you know, an operation on your heart, and you go to the surgeon. You wouldn't want your surgeon to be a relativist. You wouldn't want to say, well, you know, uh, there is a current thinking that will sort of enter your heart through the sort of thoracic cavity and we'll just do an operation with all the latest technology. But do you know what? I wonder, I've got some leeches here. Um, or let's go in through the head. I don't know, let's try another way. I mean, they're all valid, aren't they? Oh, sort of, let's, let's try it and see. Your bank manager. Actually, probably your bank manager right today, right now, probably is a relativist. You go to him and say, how much money have you got? Well, it's... <laughs> Actually, you want to know. There are certain absolutes we want in life. Practically, relativism doesn't work. Thirdly, perhaps relevant to, to, to right here and now, relativism isn't fair to religious world leaders and to the world religions. Because none of the leading world religions, none of their leaders, well, are relativists. It's not just that there are different claims on truth, as if there were sort of different elements to one picture. There are competing claims to world truth. There are contradictory claims to world truth. I mean, I won't go into examples. These books do it much better than me. But let's take uh, what a Muslim would say about Allah. Allah is completely distant and remote and removed from his people, or the people on earth. In, in stark contradiction to the Christian teaching on the incarnation. God has come and lived amongst us. On the point of, of, of Jesus and a number of issues around Jesus, Christianity differs with all other world religions. So to how we get saved, so to what happens when we die. 
uh, and death itself and the resurrection, life after death. On the Trinity, there's not agreement in the different world religions. It simply won't do to say, well, they're all equally valid or they all eventually lead to God. Which God? Buddhists think there are thousands of God. Hindus think there are thousands of gods. Some form of Buddhism don't believe there is any God at all. They cannot all be right. It doesn't logically stand up. Actually, let's just turn it around. That relativist's claim that all religions are perfectly valid and equally true is itself A, exclusive, and B, extremely arrogant. Not only that, it demonstrates an ignorance of the world religions. Just a cursory glance at, at, at the sort of ladybird book of religions and what they teach will tell you that they're all different. It's akin to someone in the West saying um, something as crass as all Chinese people look the same. But as soon as you get to know someone who's from China, you know that they are unique and different, that they don't all look the same because you have personal knowledge of them. When someone says or suggests that all religions are basically the same, what effectively they're saying is, I don't really know about any of them. And they're giving you an absolute truth. Reject it. So do all religions lead to God? Do all roads going out of London lead to Edinburgh? Yes and no. Supposing you get a road going out of London, it's the A24 and it's heading south towards the south coast. Will it go to Edinburgh? Yes and no. No, if you stay on it, if you persist on the A24 and keep heading south, you won't get to Edinburgh. Fact. But yes, if you start heading south out of London on the A24 and when you get to the M25 intersection, you change and you go on the M25 for a bit. You head west and you begin to crawl north until you meet the M1 and then you change again and you get on the M1 and yes, you can get to Edinburgh by starting out on the M24. I mean, if time's an issue, you want a direct route, I would suggest there are better ways of getting to Edinburgh from London. But we want to be, we want to be careful about right and wrong, I think, if I may suggest. You can be wrong without being evil, without being subhuman, without being unworthy. Indeed, people who are extremely kind, intelligent, and sensitive can be that and yet just wrong in what they happen to believe. We want to be sensitive when we think about how um, other faiths have helped Christianity in their practical expression. Think of some of the um, more Eastern religions and their practice of contemplation, meditation and, and prayer have got much to teach Christianity, I think, in, in, in diff different practices and understandings. Other world views and world religions have much to say on the environment that would put Christians to shame or on um, us and our place within the world, even different aspects on God himself. The issue, I want to suggest, when we think about uh, dialogue or discussion with people from different worldviews and from other religious faiths, is, is not so much whether they're right or wrong, but whether in, in my dialoguing with them and, and discerning them to be wrong on certain things, 
that I don't then in my heart find a pride I'm right surfacing and also that I don't find an equal and opposite sort of harmful attitude towards the person I'm in dialogue with you're wrong and I want to undermine you you're wrong and I want to disadvantage or abuse you in some way you're wrong and actually I want to hate you and distance myself from you God came and met us he came into the world and met us so how am I to discover God amid a a pluralist culture and society I I want to suggest that maybe the answer isn't um, um, how can I find God before we've satisfied the question has God come and found me has God done anything taken the initiative and moved towards me and that's where we come to our passage in Colossians and forgive me I know I recognize much of this has probably felt like a lecture and less a kind of exposition of the text um, I'm hoping that we'll do quite a bit more of this in our different house groups and discussion groups but you see John's gospel as we've recently been uh, discovering has encouraged us to ask the question not so much who is Jesus because all the world religions will have different views on that but is Jesus the Christ is he the anointed one and here's what Paul wrote as Trevor uh, read it to us just a few moments ago verse 15 chapter 1 the son that's Jesus is the image or literally the exact representation of the invisible God the firstborn over all creation for in him all things were created things in heaven on earth visible and invisible whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities all things have been created through him and for him a a direct if, if heavily implicit reference to Jesus being there at the beginning of creation that the universe all powers and opinions uh, dominions created for him now to the Jewish mindset well that's God Yahweh the one God and Paul is saying yes and Jesus is God Jesus is God in human form he's the anointed one the special one so if I want to get to God what's the best way to get there I could you know go all around the house I could go on the M24 M25 whatever it is and eventually or shall I take a direct route shall I look at Jesus look at verse 19 God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him or just over the page as Paul attests for in Christ chapter 2 verse 9 in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form and in Christ you have been brought to fullness we can know God through Christ through Jesus he's the one who's dealt with sin look at uh, back over verse 14 chapter 1 in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins Christianity uniquely deals to uh, claims to have dealt with human sin with human evil he's the one who's been resurrected to brand new life Look at verse 21. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he's reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Jesus' death and resurrection has faced death head on, conquered its power, ushered in new life. The uniqueness of Jesus, the Christ, the anointed one. Well, that's exclusive says the relativist how can you claim that Jesus is the only way to go without being exclusive well we just want to be real here all faith positions are exclusive 
The Muslim is exclusive. The Buddhist is exclusive. The universalist, the, the kind of faith child of relativism, the universalist is exclusive because universalism excludes exclusivity. Logically, that's true. All faith positions exclude. So is Christianity exclusive? Well, yes, like every other faith position in some way, shape, or form. Is it arrogant? Well, it depends how you put it across. We must be careful not to have an arrogant demeanor. But is it arrogant to look at the facts as they are presented in, as we see them in history, of, of, of Jesus Christ? who he said he was, what he did, how he lived, of the early church and how so many swapped faith. They, they jumped ship. Judaism, so many converted to the new way, to Christianity. Why? Because it seemed reasonable. It made sense. So how are we to uh, reason and argue with those of a different faith position? Well, with tolerance, with respect, lovingly. But finally, as I close, with these two convictions. The first is that relativism must be challenged. It's flawed. That the prevalent worldview of our culture today is, is logically flawed right at its core. Challenge that. And the right not to be exclusive in the claims that, that Christianity makes. But secondly, be encouraged. Finally, be encouraged. We've been here before as a church. The early church, the church we read about in the New Testament, flourished in a pluralistic culture. You read uh, Luke's account of Acts and, and of Paul. When he went and reasoned with uh, people in their synagogues or out in the marketplace, they were, he was surrounded by all sorts of gods. Read of his uh, Corinthian correspondence. Read his, his, his uh, arguments with the Corinthians. Food sacrificed to idols, idolatry, gods everywhere. And Paul reasoned for, for the exclusivity of Jesus Christ and of Christianity within that context. And the church flourished. So as we challenge relativism, and as we recognize that actually pluralism allows for opportunity as well as threat, then be assured, as Paul writes, in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. In Christ, you've been brought to fullness. He's the head over every power and authority. We can be assured of who he is. We can have confidence as we dialogue lovingly and sensitively with others. That Jesus is the way to know God as Father. Amen.